T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. Listen to every MLB game live. In the deep left center field, it is high, it is far, it is high. Stream minor league affiliates. The Midwest League home run leader. And watch the best baseball highlights and look-ins on MLB Big Inning. MLB at bat is your all-in-one live baseball subscription for only $3.99 per month. Deep left field, it's going to go. Alvarez ties the game. Subscribe to at bat within the MLB app today. Major League Baseball trademarks used with permission. Home and home. Now, I've heard of guys, random guys, going into a hockey game as a goaltender before. I never knew, though, that there was an actual term for it called e-bug. So let's just start with what happened Saturday night. And since you're the hockey guy, I'll let you lay it out for the listeners, viewers, whatever. All right, so... There's always an e-bug in every NHL building. There's a guy that is in the press box that is a goalie that serves both teams, both sides. So if a goalie gets hurt, then he'll go down and get dressed and be the emergency backup. He won't sit on the bench. He'll sit in the locker room in half of his gear. In other words, he'll have his pants on, his pads, his skates. He just won't have his upper body equipment on. Um, But what happened on Saturday is James Reimer got hurt really early in the game for Carolina. He was their starting goalie. So he goes out, can't come back in. So uh, Peter Morazic, who was their backup that night, regular backup, goes into the game. So the e-bug goes downstairs, gets dressed, and is sitting in the press room watching the game on a television eating popcorn while Peter Morazic is now playing the game for the Carolina Hurricanes. Then a puck comes down into their zone. Morazic decides to go out after it. Huge collision ensues. He's hurt. Now the e-bug, what's going on? They call it down there and say, we need the e-bug. He's got to sign a contract. So he has to sign a contract and his, I guess, a liability form. And he gets dressed, gets a couple warm-up shots, and boom, you're in the NHL. Just like that. And he's got to face, he's got 27-plus minutes that he's got to shut down one of the most offensively high-powered teams in the NHL, the Toronto Maple Leafs, where he works, by the way. He works for the Maple Leafs minor league team as a Zamboni driver for the Toronto Marlies, who's the AHL affiliate, and he's also one of their practice goalies. So he was at their practice actually yesterday, the day after he got his first NHL win as an e-bug and practicing with the same team. Pretty crazy. All right, so dude, I, I have about a zillion questions right now. First of all, though, let's establish your credentials. You are or were an e-bug? Before the, yeah, before they made the, the term e-bug and made it mandatory that you had to have a person there, there was always people around in the building that you knew that if you ran into this situation, then there would be people that they would go to and say, can you get dressed? Can you be an emergency backup? There was a time many years ago where the Flyers had their trainer had to get into equipment. There was a kid from Temple that had to get into equipment when he was a pseudo e-bug um, a couple of years ago for the Chicago Blackhawks. And then two years ago, we know what happened with Scott Foster in Chicago facing Winnipeg. But there was what necessitated the change from the NHL. There was a situation that happened in Florida a couple of years ago 
in a game where uh, Roberto Luongo got hurt for the Florida Panthers, and then their backup, Al Montoya, got hurt, and they had to put, try to put in their goalie coach in the game. And it was an employee of the team, so it got real dicey. So the NHL decided to adopt the official e-bug system. Um, and since that happened, the Flyers for a couple years had two guys. Now they have one guy who uh, played Division One at Colgate, a guy named Justin Kowalkowski. Um, so he's the official e-bug for the Philadelphia games now. So he's not an e-bug for the Flyers. He's an e-bug for the Flyers and whoever they play that night. So he's there in the press box. I sit next to him every game. And he is got his, his equipment's downstairs ready to go. And he's gotten called to get dressed about six or seven times, I believe. But he's yet to get into a game. Okay. So in, how long have you been covering hockey or following it? Uh, since I was four. I'm 47, so 43 years. Okay. I started playing many, when I was four. How many guys have come out of the stands or come out of the press box to get in the game that you can remember offhand? Is it less than five, more than ten, like – if you had to guess, in the last 40 years? Um, I would probably say about five to seven. Yeah, that actually played. Uh, the guy, David Ayers, played the most significant because he played 27 minutes. I mean, he played almost a half a game in the NHL. He got the win. So, yeah, I'd, I'd say probably around seven that I recall. Okay. None to that level what, of significance, though. Right, but what happens more often is one goalie gets hurt, the guy goes and gets the equipment on, but then he never gets in because the odds of the second goalie getting hurt are not real good. No, I mean, to get both goalies hurt, no, sometimes a goalie pulls up lame in warm-up, and then that's when the e-bug goes down as well. If a guy gets hurt in warm-up, the starter or whatever, then you got to have that backup. Um, but, yeah, most often it's, it's very rare that both goalies are going to get hurt in a game. So th- that's, the, that's the reward for the e-bug, though. That's the dream. If they both get hurt, and you're not looking for guys to get hurt, but if they both get hurt, now all of a sudden you're in the NHL. You go to your hockey DB page, and you show up as being an NHL player. Now, you don't get the pension or any of that stuff. You only get 500 bucks in a game jersey, maybe some equipment if they're lucky. But, yeah, I mean, it's not it, – and they don't get paid to be there every game. They, sit, they get a free pass to sit in the press box and eat. That's, what, that's what I wanted candy. to know. Do those, guys, do those guys get paid or no? Only if you get into a game. You sign a contract, you get into a game, you get $500, and you get to keep the jersey. All right, so, so they'll sew your name right on the jersey. <laughs> All right, but this Colgate guy that does the Flyers now, right? Mm-hmm. What, what the hell is he doing? Like, what, he, he's just going to the game? Like, is he, is he getting – he's not getting paid in any capacity. He just goes to watch the game? Nope, doesn't have to pay for parking, goes to the game, has a seat in the press box right next to yours truly, and uh, gets to watch every game for free, which is cool. He doesn't get to bring, like, his family with him or, you know, a buddy and have beers while he's watching the game. He sits in the press box and hangs out. It'd be a lot cooler if he did, though. I was thinking that. Like, now, how were you in – like, where did you play and how were you in e-bug for some games? Well, I've been playing goalie my whole life, and, and just from being around the team, I've worked for the Flyers and been doing their broadcast in 2008. So I've been around the team for so long. And, you know, I, I do a lot of their charity stuff and I end up on the ice doing charity stuff. Like yesterday they had their big carnival and I was on, on the ice taking shots from kids and, you know, people to raise money for charity, people shooting at me at the Wells Fargo Center on the ice. So uh, just from doing it for so long and being around the team for so long, you know, you kind of kind of get involved in this kind of stuff. And 
you always hope that I'll hope that the two goalies get hurt and the e-bug gets hurt and then I'll get called in now. Oh, are you fourth? Are you the are you the are you the e bug? I'm the assistant <laughs> to the e-bug. <laughs> <laughs> is that that's not why you're sitting there in the stands though right you're you're there no I, I, I work for the games yeah I do the broadcast I do the pre-intermission and post game so I interview players when they come off the ice in between periods and post game and all that oh that's awesome man I didn't realize that all yeah. every home game every home game yeah I've been doing it for 12 years and do you love it yeah I love the game so for me, it's not a big deal. I don't have to prepare for it because I, I, I love the game so much. I follow it whether I was doing that or not. So And I've been around it for so long. There's no player there that's been there longer than, than I've done it. So I have a good relationship with them. They, we all trust, you know, they trust me that I'm not going to put them in a bad position. And, you know, Ross, when you're dealing with athletes, sometimes that English isn't their first language. They're very reticent. So, yeah, it's, 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 it's an easy gig. It's a fun gig. And, and, you know, the culture of the sport's great. And the athletes are, are great to deal with. Okay, so the next question: Do we love e-bugs? Or I love e-bugs. Is something... <laughs> no, I know. Of course you do. But is this the way it should be? Like, let's be honest, okay? You love the NHL. You're a big NHL hockey guy. Like to me, watching the story. First of all. It's the most interested I've been in the NHL in a while, and I freaking love it. Like I love everything about this. But then I also think, and and for like that, and that's the emphasis, right? Is like that is awesome. This guy, forty-two-year-old Zamboni driver. But then, I, but then my my next reaction was like, wait a minute, how the hell is that possible? Like that yeah. would never happen in any other sport. Like how is that even a thing? Is there something the NHL should do differently? So that this never happens. This was a playoff, you know, this is for the playoff race. Yeah, look, the win, the two points that Carolina got in the game, put them back into the top eight in the Eastern Conference to be a playoff team. And, you know, and he played 27 minutes of the game. Now, a lot of people are calling for reform to the e-bug. I can't believe we're talking about this, but reform to the e-bug <laughs> situation. Uh, but, and the, and the reform they're calling for, and it's a lot of former goaltenders that played in the league. It's some executives, a guy named Brian Burke, who, who uh, works at Sportsnet in Canada now, was a former general manager. Um, the reform that they're calling for is that the e-bug shouldn't be a 42-year-old beer leaguer. It should be some guy that played junior at a pretty decent level, probably not anything over 32 years of age. You know, you're putting a 42-year-old beer league guy out there with NHL guys in live play in a game that meant something. What if that guy got hurt? You know, there's so there are there's some reform that they could consider. Um, I'm not for that reform. I'm 47, so I'm going to keep the dream alive. So uh, look, I love that a 42 year old guy went out there. A 36 year old Scott Foster in Chicago went out and won. He was talking about you know being at his accounting job that day, and he went out and he was stopping shots from Patrick Line and some of the best shooters in the NHL play, playing against the Winnipeg Jets. So. I like the e-bug system just the way it is. I understand why they're calling for it, especially with, you know, so much on the line and two teams that needed to get a win. And the fact that Toronto didn't get a win at home against a Zamboni driver, believe me, I'm sure that's being talked about in that city today. And there's a lot of shame in it. They're calling it rock bottom up there. It's got to be. Hold on a second, though. This guy works for the Toronto Maple Leafs organization. That's his job. Yeah. 
Yep. And, okay. he, and he's a practice so goal for the Leafs not, as well. How does he not let the Maple Leafs score so that they win? That's his employer. That's I got that, his job. I got, I got that question 700 times on Twitter yesterday. Now, if, if, I, went into, if I was the e-bug and I went into a game for, say, Carolina against the Flyers, would I let Carolina score? Anybody that's an e-bug no, is certainly competitive. No, would you let the Flyers score? Would you let the Flyers yeah, score? Yeah, so that they would win the game. And the answer is really simple. Hell no. You're in the NHL. You don't want to go out there and look like a donkey. I'm going to go out there and try and stop everything I can. And if you look, if you even consider to be an e-bug, you played at a decent level. So and you're competitive. You don't want to go out there on national TV and look like you can't stop a beach ball from the blue line. You want to impress me. I belong here. Who cares, though? You're not getting another deal from it. You're not like it's not like. So let's say you got in, dude. Okay, you're not getting an NHL deal from it. And you'd be a lot cooler in Philadelphia if you made sure that the Flyers won, wouldn't you? No, I'd have more street cred because I'm stopping them. You know what I'm saying? And, and look, the other part of it is, too, as, as a member of the goalie union, you never let anybody score, ever. It's just it's, you don't like pucks in your net. You're never going to let anybody score. I would never Where let. Where did you play? How do you have qualifications to be an e-bug? You don't need a lot of qualifications, Ross. You have to be able to stop a puck at a beer league. That's where I play now. We all end up in beer league. It doesn't matter what level you played. Well, okay, so what is beer league? What does that mean? That's just men's league. Just awesome. Like, you guys have beers during the game or just after? Some have them before. Um, not many during, but always beers after in the locker room. It's grimy, man. Hockey's a really grimy. You'd fit in perfect. we got to get you to one of our I, beer league games. That sounds amazing. I have a uh, – my um, one of my good friends growing up, his dad played beer league hockey into his 60s for sure. For sure. There's like over 45 leagues and stuff like that. Yes. There's all different levels. Yeah. Yeah. It's great because you're – look, the one thing – and you know this, playing pro sports, the one thing when you retire or you played sports at any decent level growing up or a lot of it is the one thing you miss is the room, the locker room, and the camaraderie that you had. That's that's the most fun part, getting dinged up and hit and hit with pucks or whatever it is. That's not the fun part. It's hanging out with the boys in the room. So, you know, this keeps it alive for guys and – you know, there's all different levels. You can play over 45, which is really slow paced or, you know, for a 60 year old guy or you can you can play in some of the higher leagues where you're playing with kids that are just out of college or in the summertime. All the college kids are home and kids that play junior and it's it's and they rip it. It's crazy when you play in like the A league or B league in, in a lot of these beer leagues. All right. So and I'm one of those idiots like that does the, that. <laughs> you but you like you like the e-bug process exactly the way it is. It just feels weird to me that the guy can play for either team, but I guess you don't want to have to have two e-bugs on standby. The way the rosters are, you're not going to carry three goalies. So it's not like a team's going to bring an emergency goalie. So you you have one guy that, what's that? You can't travel an e-bug, you know, you're not going to pay for the hotel on the one in like what? 5,000 chance that he's going to get into a game. Right. So it just each home stadium, each home arena has their own e-bug now. And that guy's just there in case disaster happens. Dude, how bad do you want your guy to get in a game? Uh, when he goes down and I'll go up to the press box and I see that he's not sitting there. I'm like, oh, he's not here. Somebody must have got hurt, you know, because he gets a call from the assi- he got a text from the assistant general manager. 
and they'll tell him to go downstairs to get his stuff on. And when he's not there, I'm like, oh, man, I'm hoping he gets in. You know, I want him to get one. He's dying to get one. You see guys like, like, look what it did for Scott Foster, the kid in Chicago. And then look what it's doing for David. David Ayers is on Good Morning America. You know what I mean? He's the talk of Canada. He's the, uh, we're talking about it. Everybody's talking about it. It's a great story. Imagine what it does for a guy like that. He's got his moment. All right. So let's talk about other sports for E-Bug. Ah. All right. <laughs> now, what's the one, like if you had to pick a sport where you can see them doing this, what would it be? I mean, the one thing that comes to mind is, is in football is the kicker. Um, but is a guy that you pull out of the stands a better option to be your kicker than an NFL player who may have kicked it somewhere along his career as a football player? You know what I mean? Like, remember Brian Mitchell came in and kicked. Um, there's other guys in the NFL that have come in and kicked. I mean, and it affects the game so much, Ross, because if you don't have any kicker to kick field goals, now you have to go for it on fourth down every time that you're in field goal range. It affects the outcome of the game. But if you had an emergency backup kicker and you can try these guys out, like they have tryouts for e-bugs and they could have tryouts for an emergency backup kicker. You give him a free ticket to the game. He sits in the press box. And if uh, your kicker gets hurt, he goes down, throws on some equipment and he can be your place kicker or your punter or whatever. So I could. Okay, but here's what I don't understand. Here's what I don't understand. Here's what I understand. Okay. In football, the kicker gets hurt. The punter does it or some linebacker kicks off or whatever. Right. Yeah. In baseball, you don't want to go through your pitchers late in the game. You put Jose Canseco in to throw the ninth inning or whatever, right? Like in hockey, those guys have all been playing hockey their whole life. One of the guys on the team should go in at goalie. Like, I, what am I missing here? A couple of things. Number one, you're missing the fact that they haven't played goalie. So the positions are so different. Just standing on the skates is different. A, a, a skate that a player wears is arced like this. A goalie skate is flat. So, like, I can't skate on a player skate. I feel like I'm on a rocking chair. Like, I'm looking like this, right? But on a goalie skate, it's flat. It's more like a rollerblade, um, number one. And does that guy have equipment, an equipment that fits him? Is he just going to stuff himself into the other goalie's equipment? What if that goalie's 6'5 and he's 5'11? The length of the pads is going to be. The, the emergency backup has his own equipment that fits him. And the emergency backups have played at a decent level where they can get in there and play the position certainly better than throwing, you know, uh, William Nylander from the Toronto Maple Leafs in that or something like that. So I don't think you can just throw a player in like you can with a kicker in the NFL or a pitcher in baseball. There's an, there's so, an equipment issue there as well, obviously. So let me ask you this. To let's, say, let's say we took all the e-bugs that there are, all right? A random 31. sampling of e-bugs, and there were a hundred shots on goal. Okay, what would you guess? How many shots would get in? Where the sh not all shots are created equal. Um, I know a, a, a random hundred shot sampling of NHL shots. Um, the, uh, the goals against average would probably be somewhere around. Not the goal. The, the save percentage would be about 750, where for an NHL goalie, it's about 915. Okay, so if it's 750, that means 25 goals get in. Yeah. If it's 915, that means like eight goals get in. Yeah. Okay, so there's a big difference. 
Yeah, but the other thing you have to consider is the team playing in front of you. When you have there's a theory in hockey, like like there is in football, it's the the backup quarterback theory or the backup goalie theory, that when you have a backup in there, everybody else raises the level of their game, which is exactly what Carolina did. They just suffocated the opponent and they didn't get good shots on their goalie. So he was able to make seven saves in the third period of that game. Dude, was the and the game was in Toronto? It was in Toronto. Yeah, because he was the he works for the Leafs. Oh, right, right, right. So then all the Carolina guys, they hopped on the plane and left right after the game. He didn't even get a chance to really celebrate with them, right? Oh, no, the, he went in the room after the game after doing the off-ice interview on Hockey Night in Canada. And that's a huge thing up there. Hockey Night in Canada is everything, right? And he does the interview with the towel and the whole thing. And he goes into Wait, the room second, and they like showered second. him. Hold on a second. That just so happened to be the Hockey Night in Canada game? Yeah. Oh, my gosh. People in Canada must have been losing their freaking mind. That is like the dream for everybody. They must have been losing their shit. Well, it, they were losing their shit in two ways. One, they, they were booing the shit out of their home team because they weren't scoring on an emergency backup goaltender and losing to a Zamboni driver. But then they were cheering every time he made a save. So they were like a conundrum wrapped in a riddle. They didn't know whether to wind their butt or scratch their ass. You know what I mean? <laughs> So it was it was crazy. But, um, yeah, I mean, they're going bananas up there about it now. And he went in the room and they all showered him with, you know, with water bottles like it was that. And they're going to fly him down to Carolina for Tuesday night for a home game and honor him and make a big deal about it there. So really cool stuff. That is awesome. So, OK, I love your Toronto excitement because you were a pro athlete. <laughs> What's that? I love the excitement you have about it. And you were a pro athlete like you got to wear the helmet. Yeah, I know, but that that's different. You know what I mean? Like, like I I can totally appreciate this and this guy, and like I like I'm so happy for him. So, what I don't understand is why why is there an AHL and an NHL team both for the Toronto to, in in Toronto? That's weird to me. Well, that market can handle it. The 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 Toronto market is a fervent hockey market that can have two teams there and support both teams. Well, the, in Philadelphia, there were both teams were in Philadelphia for a period of time when the spectrum was still here. And it was the Philadelphia Phantoms, their AHL affiliate and the Philadelphia Flyers. And they played across a parking lot from each other. And they, this market could support it at that time as well, because just like, you know, a triple A or double A team in baseball, going to the AHL game, like going to a double A baseball game is far cheaper. You get way more access. It's seeing tomorrow's stars today. So they can sell it uh, in Toronto. That's no problem at all. Absolutely no problem. By the way, you'll be proud of me, Jay. Tomorrow night, I am going to the Hershey Bears, AHL. My uh, my wife's family business, second row seats next to the opposing team's penalty box. So I'm going to a hockey game tomorrow night. I'm going to call ahead. But, dude, if you guys need an extra e-bug, I they am have here. them for the AHL. Hey, I'll tell you right 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 now. I can't even skate, so I would be a as if they let me wear sneakers, or if they let me wear like some kind of boots, I could just kind of suit up and be big in there. I'd rather, I'd rather be the uh, e buff, emergency backup fighter. I'd rather come in like if they need someone to get in a fight, as long as I don't have to stand on ice, as long as they they can roll a carpet out. And I get to be on the carpet part while the other guy's on the uh, skate. Would I still get smoked, you think? 
Yeah. <laughs> Those guys are insane. They'd be throwing Dude, like jackhammers be- at you. <laughs> That would be that would be amazing. That dude, everything about this is fascinating. I love ebug. I love dude. Now I want my new rooting interest is to watch Flyers games and hope five goalies get hurt so that you get in. That's <laughs> that's now that's now what my my dream is. Ross, I bring my equipment to the practices just in case a goalie gets hurt in practice and they go, "Yo, we need a plug out there and send you out." <laughs> Have you ever done it? Uh, no, I haven't, but, um, I, I didn't used to go to a lot of practices. I go to a lot more now. So the gears in the car, needless to say, my, my car smells like hell. <laughs> oh my gosh. That is nothing amazing. worse than hockey equipment. Uh, yeah. We are joined here on home and home, a radio.com sports original by my good buddy, Andrew Brandt. He is the host of the business of sports podcast joins me every week. On the Ross Tucker Football Podcast, both of which, by the way, available right here on the Radio.com app, the greatest app in the history of mankind. He also writes for the MMQB. He heads up the Sports Law Institute over at Villanova. He does it all, and he's here to help us with the NFL CBA stuff. And I, I guess I'll start with this, Andrew. What is your understanding of exactly where things stand right now. Yeah, always great to be with you, Ross. What we're talking about now is we have a three-step process for the union to ratify a proposed deal that's been offered to them for the owners for the next 10 years. And the three steps are union leadership, which has negotiated this deal, two, actually four steps, (laughs) to the executive committee, 11 man group, which has voted slightly, but voted against recommending it six to five to the 32 player reps, which eventually would go to the 1900 NFL players. So where we are is that the six to five recommendation has held up sending it to the next levels. And we are hearing that there will be more negotiations this week in Indianapolis between the owners and the players to try to get a deal that they do want to recommend to the 32 player reps. Andrew, it seems like um, the NFL is, is very resolute on getting this 17 game. They want to negotiate this into their next TV package, but what do the players hope to gain from this? And is it really a negotiation? What can they possibly get out of this negotiation that makes it palatable for them even though they will make more money with expanded rosters and more salary. Yeah, I mean, I think you hit on the key aspect. There's 20-something deal points involved here, but what have we heard, guys, for the last one, two, five, ten years from players? No way, no how in God's green earth are we playing more than 16 games. And it's disingenuous of ownership to suggest that while saying health and safety are so important. Yet, here we are. So it becomes a business deal. Okay, we'll give up our safety. It's a business deal. So the ultimate question is, are they getting enough for this major, major concession, which I had said all along, there's no way they get a CBA without it, because that's the real value from the players to the owners. And yes, you're going to talk about everyone's going to talk about pension increases and, and increased rosters. 
But to me, it's always follow the money. And the money, in simplistic terms, it was 50-50 10 years ago. The owners imposed their will last time to get a 53-47 split. Now the split will go to 48.5 in a couple years. And again, my opinion, that's not enough. It's not enough for a 10-year deal. You know, why, why couldn't it go from 48.5 to 49 after four years, 49 to 49.5 after six years, 49.5 to 50 after eight years? To me, that would be a lot more equitable and wouldn't skew the deal if they could get it. We're talking with Andrew Brandt. Check him out on Twitter, at Andrew Brandt, B-R-A-N-D-T, the host of the Business of Sports podcast. You know, let's advance the story, though, on some level, Andrew, because I've seen your tweets, and it seems clear that you don't really see much of a need for any type of sense of urgency on the NFLPA's part. At this point, though, what is their real leverage if you play this thing out over the next year or so? I think it's the leverage is the same that it is right now, which is ownership really wants a deal so they can go to these TV networks and broadcast entities, digital media, and say we have labor peace for 10 years. Because without a deal, they're negotiating like, yeah, I mean, we still could have a lockout. You know, we still could have labor stoppage in 2021. And this gives them peace of mind. No one's going to buy into a product that's uncertain in a year. So, Listen, my point in all these tweets, Ross, is that why is everyone, not everyone, why are some media and people going to the idea of lockouts and strikes and missed games now? I mean, we're 13 months away from expiration of this deal. We're 20 months away from a potential missed game. So I just don't see the urgency and the urgency is on the owner's part, which gives the players leverage. You know, again, Andrew, go ahead. I, I mean, this is a really interesting negotiation that's about to take place with the NFL and rights deals because it's a, a bit non-traditional in a sense because you now have streaming services that will be involved, whether that's Netflix, Amazon, Hulu, Apple TV, whoever that might be, now flooding yeah. the marketplace. So this is... This is really a big one for the NFL. So that leverage is even more pronounced for the players considering what's about to take place with these negotiations and the digital properties. Yeah, and my feeling, Dave, is all along, it's not going to be and or. It's going to be both. I mean, it's not going to be or. It's going to be and. So the new deals are going to be with CBS, NBC, Fox, but they're also going to be with you Google, Yahoo, Amazon, Twitter, Facebook. I mean, so it's going to be both, and they're going to be massive. And I was involved with the Amazon broadcast, uh, contributing business insight to Hannah Storm and Andrea Kramer on the stream. That's the future. You know, Thursday night was broadcast Fox, cable NFL Network, and streaming Amazon. I think that's the future of of NFL broadcast. All right, so here's another question, Andrew, along those lines. It felt to me 
like there was a decent chance this deal was going to get done on Friday until Thursday came. The NFL released that statement, and the last couple sentences made it clear that if it wasn't accepted, the NFL was ready to move on with continuing the same CBA for the 2020 season. And then you had the J.J. Watt tweet that night. I almost feel like all the PR with every member of the media leaking out all these favorable terms and the way the NFL framed their statement, I almost felt like the NFL PA and some of the players felt like they were being pushed into a corner and they didn't like it. Yeah, I mean, listen, the spin, I get it. People that work for NFL Network, I get it. You know, it's like they're not going to say it's a bad deal for the players. Uh, so what I try to do is sort of see it from both sides. And, I, you know, I got a lot of players following me over the last few days, and I appreciate that. Um, I just think what we have to do is try to be down the middle on this stuff because we don't know what, you know, what's really in this deal. But I think people are making too much of J.J. Watt and these rich players and, it, and you know, it's being this kind of minority and the, and the rank and file. It's, listen, the six to five vote were not the six against it. I don't know who they are, but they're not J.J. Watts. They are rank and file players. So, you know, this executive committee is not made up of J.J. Watts. I know Richard Sherman's a star, but listen, we have to lose that sort of theory about this. This is not rank and file saying it's all good and stars against it. That committee is made up of a lot of rank and file. So let's be clear about that. Andrew, um, perhaps you can figure this out for me. You're a smart guy. I feel smarter just listening to you. I've said it very often when you're on my radio show before. Um, Thanks. Playing an odd number of games presents a really bizarre situation to me. Are you going to play one extra road game every other year? Are you going to have the home game every other year? Are you going to have a neutral site game every year? And then the logistics that go into that and the lack of control in non-NFL stadiums and facilities. And we've seen the effect of that on all sports when you're playing in a non-NFL or a stadium that's not sanctioned by your league. So how is that going to work for this going forward if you're going to play an odd number of games? You know, in all of my, my sources on the management side, not one has had a, had a theory for that. Uh, it's almost like we'll figure it out. And obviously it won't happen until the earliest, 2021. And you're right. It could be nine games home one year, eight games home the next year, rotate, rotate, rotate. And then we keep hearing about international, but we would need a lot more international games. Now, maybe it goes from four to eight in London. So you got half the league playing in London. And then you have to figure out Mexico and Toronto and Germany, you know, to fill in the rest of the league. They clearly want to expand international, and that's part of this. But maybe the first two years, half the league goes eight home games. Half the league goes nine home games, and they switch the next year. You know, again, this is not fleshed out at all. 
We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. See T-Mobile.com. After the end of a good fight, you deserve an ice cold reward. Medela is the mark of a fighter. You've earned this rich golden lager with a crisp, refreshing taste. Because you know, the bigger the fight, the better the reward. You put in the hours, the energy, the tough labor. You are a fighter. Medela is your reward. Medela, the mark of a fighter. Drink responsibly. Beer imported by Crown Port, Chicago, Illinois. We do have our Ask Reddit question that we get to at 9.30 a.m. Eastern Time every day, except for the days when we get to it at 9.43 a.m. Eastern Time, like today. And it's very simple from Ask Reddit. The question is, what is a question that your child asked you that you could not answer? I'll let you start, Jay. I have three kids. I have a 13-year-old boy, an 11-year-old daughter, and an 8-year-old daughter. And I've gotten a bunch of questions that were difficult. I've always been able to navigate them. You know, as a parent, isn't that like the gig? Like, you can navigate it? Now, the the questions I can't ever answer are when when they're these. Dad, can you help me with my math homework? I can't help them with their math homework the way they do it now. But I haven't gotten any, like, life questions from them that, like, stumped me. And I'm like, oh, my God, how am I going to answer this? What do I say? I haven't. Have you gotten those, Ross? Well, it's the, the times when I get them. So my kids are six and eight. Okay. And. They have asked me questions about interpersonal family dynamics that are difficult to answer, but I'm not going to share those on this show. Um, But yesterday, we're driving back from skiing. By the way, this is just a funny aside. Jay, a buddy of mine listens to the show on his way to work in Philly, and he said going into a meeting – but I'm going to email you the email I sent to Camelback after we were there Martin Luther King Day weekend, similar to what you had. Wow. That is bad, dude. That is bad. I didn't even know that. He was listening to us. Like, that's a bad sign. Maybe I'll just forward it, his email, with the link. Ditto. Here's the link. But anyway. Now it's multiple um, problems. They got to deal with it. Here's Yeah, so driving back, my youngest daughter said, um, for some reason, she's really into middle names. And she said, what's God's middle name? And my wife and I looked at each other and we're like, well, God doesn't have a middle name. He's just God. And she seemed to accept that. She's like, well, what about Jehovah? And we're like, her in, in her in her Sunday school class, they're singing this song where it's like, there's no God like Jehovah. There's no God like Jehovah. So she was curious about Jehovah. I got to be honest with you. I don't know a whole lot about the Jehovah part. Okay. Then she said, well, what's Jesus's middle name? 
And all I could think about was my grandpa. And I was going to say to her, mother effing. <laughs> oh, jeez. Glad you didn't answer. <laughs> I got thinking, middle name Jesus. What? And all I could think of was my grandpa a couple of times. Jesus. Enough said, Effin. right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Jesus does, actually Effin. doesn't have a middle name. Mother effing. So then she, I can't remember what else she asked. But she asked another tough, like another couple religious questions that I was like, I'm driving. Your mom has to answer that one. I'm dri- I need to focus on the road. Uh, Google, so please. it's usually at, at this age, I feel like it's mainly like religious questions that would be stumpers. I still think the Dolphins haven't gotten enough conversation for a team that tried to tank and failed. Let's take a listen to some of the sound in Miami. It's hard to find a definitive instance of NFL tanking, at least over a full season. If I say they're not planning on being competitive, it sounds like they're planning on losing. But they're not. But they're not. But they they did. They want to compete on a week-to-week basis. Whether they're tanking or not, who cares? They're going to be bad. They're fully healthy right now. You know, Devontae Parker's out there running. They, he can have a little Fitz magic with Fitzpatrick. Um, you know, you got Albert Wilson. You got Kenyon Drake, who's been rested for the last three weeks. It's hard to assess this team. But I think, to me, the ultimate goal for Ryan Flores is this team can't quit. They can't tune him out. Can you glean any positives from the Dolphins' performance in Dallas? Have we already gotten to this point? Have we already <laughs> there? Three games into the season well, where a 25-point 20, beatdown is a moral victory? I, do you think we're going to do a single Victory Monday show this oh, season? That's a great question. We've come this far. We've stripped this team down so much. Uh, we have been through two decades of just dysfunction and mediocrity. Uh, the only thing that can guarantee that we possibly get off this ride is Tua. I don't want a chance doing what I call the that so Dolphins move and finally getting a win against the Washington Redskins. And let's not let's not chance that. I will tell you this about the Miami Dolphins victory. Didn't feel bad to me at all. Like I didn't know how I was gonna feel. Now I think doing it to Adam Gase is part of the fun. That's all the fun. But you get moments like this. That hard work. Alright, there's joy in hard work, and this is it right here. I'm just telling you that right now. There's joy in hard work. This is it. How about them dolphins, fellas? Dolphins on three. One, two, three. The unexpected that uh, let, let let's all be honest. The unexpected that happened in Foxborough uh yesterday that has everybody going, what the heck? just happened you know all the stuff yeah. starts coming out that Tua Tonga mm-hmm. was healthy blah 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 is he going to be available with the number five pick he is not going to be available with the number five pick they want him they're gonna to have to trade up question is how high do you have to go two is really the spot where you need to go problem is will the Washington Redskins give up on Chase Young that was from our guys in Miami, 560, the Joe, 790, the ticket. Speaking of 790, the ticket, Zach Duarte is an evening host, does a terrific job down there. There's a lot to talk about as it relates to the Miami Dolphins. Zach, you're on with Ross Tucker and Jason Martitis. It is Home and Home, a radio.com sports original Really appreciate the time. and I, I, I'm hoping you got to hear that audio compilation, Zach, 
that we right. just put together. It, it's so, th these have been awesome to go back and listen to how things change over the course of a season before the season. I guess I want to start with what is the general reaction of Dolphins fans to last year in the sense that you got rid of so many good players because you wanted the number one pick, but then you won too many games. Like, how have people reacted <laughs> to last year's apparently failed tanking? Yeah, it's uh, interesting. Well, uh, first of all, thanks for having me on the show. Um, to start, it was it was hard to swallow. It was a tough pill to swallow because a lot of those trades happened after the fact that you know fans were ready for the season, ready for this new change, and then you had the Laramie Tunzel trade. Uh, and you also had the Minka Fitzpatrick trade. Uh, Minka was in season two weeks after the season started, and Laramie happened right before the season started. So those just – and when those happened, you knew it was – that season was over. You knew that you were not playing for 2019 anymore. So it was a tough pill to swallow. But then you got through 0-7. The team started to be more competitive. And then in the last nine games, they won five, and you're just like – this, this was totally unexpected, and it was really fun how they won those games, too, because they were beating good teams. They beat the Patriots in the, at the end of the season, which really ended up impacting the standings and impacting the Patriots because they didn't have that second-round home playoff game, uh, which didn't matter anyways. But uh, it was it was very mixed reaction, and then I think we all understood what was happening and why they were doing it. And then it became fun because it started winning games, and you, you – you worry about the future in the future, and you worry about the draft at the draft, but they were winning games with picking guys up off the street on Tuesday from practice squads and waiver wire transactions, and it became just fun because they were a massive underdog, and they were beating uh, the Philadelphia Eagles, and they beat the New England Patriots, and it became fun at the end of the season. Zach, when you, when you look at it, they do have excellent draft equity coming in. Three first-round picks, five picks in the first two rounds six picks in the top three rounds. Um, is there chatter that they will try and move up and combine some of that equity to get the quarterback? Yeah, no, absolutely. And I think you heard in the clip there, I think it was Omar Kelly saying there's no way that they get two out of five. And it's starting to look like I agree. I think the Detroit Lions are open for business at this point. And uh, it's it's something as a Dolphins fan, you're very you're very torn up. And and, and, I, and I know it sounds weird because hey, move up, get your guys, that's fine. But the Miami Dolphins have so many positions that they need to address. They 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 have holes all over the roster, and and you know, like I said, they were plugging those positions in with waiver waiver wire transaction guys, and uh, you were hoping that they'd be able to make all those picks, but it doesn't look like it. The thing that you're really looking at is, are they going to have to spend another first round pick? to move up from five to three. And you're hoping that they don't, but it sounds right now like they're going to have to. I think that's just the, the pre-draft hoopla, the whole process uh, taking place right now. You, you look back a couple years ago, the Jets trading from six to three to get Sam Darnold, and they traded three second-round picks. Um, but the Dolphins are going to have to do what they're going to have to do, and if that's parting ways with one of those other first-round picks uh, to move up from five to three, and that's what they're going to have to do. But they're in a position that no other team is in right now. They they have so much capital, like you just mentioned, that they can control if they want to trade up or not. And, and no other team can do that. I think there's two other teams that have first-round picks. Jacksonville has two first-round picks, and Oakland has two first-round picks. But if Detroit's going to trade back with them, they're going to go from 3 to 12 or 3 to 7, whereas if they trade with Miami, they'll go from 3 to 5. They'll still be able to get who they want at 5 for the most part and get another first-round pick is what it looks like at this point. 
Yeah, it's just crazy though, Zach, to talk to to listen to you again. Zach Duarte is the evening host on 790 down in Miami. You know, if they had just done their jobs and lost, <laughs> they wouldn't be in this position. And the problem was, they signed my boy Fitzpatrick. Like when they move on from Tunsil and Minka Fitzpatrick and those guys, it's clear what they wanted or were trying to do. Why, oh why, would they sign Ryan Fitzmagic and or even play him instead of Josh Rosen if they wanted to get the number one pick and not have to waste resources now to move up and get Tua? They could have just drafted Burrow at one or just drafted Tua at two. No, I I, uh, I totally agree with you. I, I totally understand when it was happening in the moment because I do the post-game shows as well after Dolphins games. I was saying the same thing. I was I was frustrated. I, I was frustrated that they won those games. If you look back at it now, they had just lost those last two regular season games against the Bengals and against the Patriots. The Dolphins would have the number one pick right now. And and that Bengals game was in overtime, too. <laughs> um, but, it, you know, Brian Flores is, is coming from a position of, uh, I, I don't worry about the offseason. I worry about controlling this locker room and, and um, you know, showing everybody in this locker room that I am serious. And, uh, you know, a leader shows the way. And, and Brian Flores says, no, we're going to win every single game. We're going to win every single snap. Brian Flores is not going to uh, throw games on purpose or tank games on purpose. And, and it, it's, it, it's a discussion that happens every single day for the last year. Hey, why are we winning these games? But, you know, if, you, if you're Brian Flores, you can't afford to lose games. You know, we saw a guy like Steve Wilkes last year in Arizona. I think they went 3-13, and he got fired after one season. So if you're Brian Flores, you're not sitting here saying – Hey, you know, if I go three and thirteen, my job is safe. Now, if a discussion happened in the offseason between Brian Flores, Stephen Ross, Chris Greer, that's another story. But if I'm Brian Flores, I'm doing the same thing. I'm trying to win every single game, and I'm not I'm not worried about the draft until we get there in April. And and again, as we mentioned in the question before, the Dolphins they can they, they can offer more in a trade than anybody else can. And I, I I agree with you. Like, look, Brian Fitzpatrick. I actually said last year when uh, you could see that Tannehill was on his way out. I said. Hey, Ryan Fitzpatrick is a fun way to lose 10-plus games. And that ended up being exactly what happened. But, uh, you know, Josh Rosen, he was in there to start the season, and it was unwatchable. It was really hard to watch Josh Rosen uh, be, be a quarterback of this team. And, and Ryan Fitzpatrick, he galvanizes other guys. And, and he, he just made it fun, you know. I know we lost 11 games, but it was still fun. And, uh, and I'm, I'm actually looking forward to seeing Ryan Fitzpatrick and what he can do with this team next year. Hey, Zach, well, you look at the team, by my count, of the five wins, they beat three quality opponents. You mentioned the Patriots and the Eagles and Indianapolis is no slouch either. Um, but to come out of this offseason with that draft equity that you have, what is an absolute must? Do they have to come away with the, the quarterback of the future? Do they need that to, to move forward? Because once you check that box, that you have that guy for a long period of time, getting the other pieces – is a lot easier than trying to get the franchise quarterback. Do they have to capitalize on that draft equity and come out with that this year? Yeah, that's a good question. You would you would think in a perfect world that they have to get the quarterback. But let's say they came out of this draft with a left tackle, a defensive end that can rush the passer, and another first-round pick next year so that they have three first-round picks next year. I know it sounds bizarre, right? We're talking – the, the, the worst possible, uh, worst case scenario. But let's say they came out with a left tackle, 
a defensive end who can rush the quarterback, and now three first-round picks in next year's draft. And you have Trevor Lawrence and all those quarterbacks. That's not a bad position to be in either, but I do think that they have to come away in this draft with a quarterback, and that's where the whole Tua dynamic gets interesting because Tua's been the guy that they've probably been targeting for the better part of the season. You remember last, I think it was January, Adam Schefter was like, oh, the Dolphins are tanking for Tua. <laughs> and you're like, what? This is, this is uh, 18 months ahead of schedule. But uh, I, I do think that coming away with a quarterback is a priority, um, and I don't know which one of I don't know which one of those three it is. It could be uh, Joe Burrow, although that that seems like a pipe dream right now. Tua Tagovailoa or Justin Herbert, I think, is a real possibility at five two if the Dolphins uh, are are not willing to trade up whatever Detroit asks for, because Detroit is in a, in a position of power now uh, where they can trade back and they can take the best offer available, and that's where the Dolphins. Uh, they can control that, but if they don't want to give what Detroit wants, then Detroit may trade with another team who wants to trade up to three. But yeah, I, I do think they need a quarterback. You're looking at a left tackle or a right tackle, two as the quarterback, and a defensive end who can rush the quarterback. They need everything. The only thing they don't need is wide receiver right now. Devontae Parker signed an extension. Preston Williams had a nice year last year. Mike Gusecki emerged as a nice tight end threat down in the middle of the field, but they need everything. They need another cornerback, linebackers, safety, uh, defensive tackle. They need every position except for wide receiver. So, Zach, do you want Tua, and do the people down there want Tua, regardless of his health concerns and all the injuries he had in college? Yeah, yeah. I think you, uh, as a Dolphins fan who has uh, not, who has watched his franchise not take chances in the first round besides Ryan Tannehill, uh, who has watched... uh, them pass on Drew Brees because of a medical situation. Take the best player available. Take the generational talent and see what happens on the field. Um, you know, I, I know that there's a lot of injury concerns with Tua Tungo I'm not worried about that. Take the take the guy with the best uh, with the most talent, I should say, at the quarterback position, and that will that will bring people back to the stadium. You have to understand the Dolphins have haven't won a playoff game since 2000, I think it was, and that game was blacked out. You couldn't see it on TV. Uh, and, and the quarterbacks that we've had since Marino, I mean, you go through a laundry list of quarterback names that stretches from, you know, Ryan Tannehill, Jay Feeler to Chad Henney to, uh, you know, Ray Lucas. Guys, we've had 20-plus quarterbacks in San Marino. It'd be nice to have a guy who was drafted in the top five, who was a Heisman Trophy winner, national champion, who comes with a pedigree like Tua Tungo-Vailoa. So yes, I'm, I'm absolutely for them drafting Tua, and, you know, I, I really hope that they can make it happen. And I, I just, I just hope that they don't have to trade all those first-round picks in order to make that happen. To get the franchise quarterback, and you look at your division right now, um, maybe Brady leaves New England, and all of a sudden that division becomes a little bit more balanced, if you will. And and the top team, I guess, would be Buffalo if Brady were to leave New England. Although we'll see what Belichick can do if Brady is to leave. But is there a feeling there if you get the quarterback, and now you can be a team that's in the mix to win that division for a change? No, yeah, I, I 100% agree. You, you look at the job that Brian Flores did last year, and he, he, I mean, he won games. Like, again, picking guys up off, off, off the practice squad from other teams, waiver wires, and putting them together, you know, with four or five days and making the game plan and winning games against, like you said, Indianapolis, New England, Philadelphia. They had the lead in both games against Buffalo. Uh, so you think, as a Dolphins fan, you have the, the, the head coach in place. That is there. Now you just need the rest, and you can compete. I would say if they get Tua in this draft, 
that there are expectations for this this team to be competing for a division title within two years. I'm not saying next year. I'm saying within two years when Tua seemingly would be healthy because what I think the plan would be would be to sit Tua next year. Let Ryan Fitzpatrick uh, take the reins again, show Tua the ropes a little bit, let Tua get healthy, let Tua get comfortable, and then amass more talent on this roster because there's not a lot of talent on this roster right now. And in two years, I think the Dolphins, like you said, they have – 12 picks in the first three rounds in the next two two seasons, plus a lot of money to spend uh, in free agency. So that would be the plan for Miami to compete within two years for a division title. The poll question is, what's the next sport that should have an emergency backup position? And the options we gave were baseball pitcher, football kicker, and soccer goalie. He's Jason Mertidis at Jason Mert on Twitter. I'm Ross Tucker at Ross Tucker NFL. The show was home and home. It is a radio.com sports original, 8:30 to 10:30 a.m. Eastern Time, Monday through Friday. Always available, by the way, on demand, and always less than five minutes of commercial time per hour which is insane, break time really, not even really commercial time. So this is an interesting question, Jay, because I feel like there's two different questions. What? Maybe three. Here they are. One would be, are we talking about a random person, like a fan, or are we talking about someone with a certain level of competency? Because those are two different things, right? You know, you could have a kicker, emergency kicker there that comes down and puts a helmet and shoulder pads on. And he's, you know, he was a college kicker and he comes to the games. So NFL teams don't have to have their punter kick or Wes Welker or somebody, Brian Mitchell, somebody like that. Uh, In soccer, goalie, same type of thing. What would it be in baseball? Would it be the pitcher or the catcher? Well, it would be the pitcher because you can't expect somebody that, well, you can't expect a guy that isn't playing a pressure not to be a goalie either, yet there was one and and he won a game. It would have to be the pitcher, though, but would anybody that you was an emergency backup be better than, say, your center fielder or your, your shortstop or whatever? That's the question, but yet you couldn't just pull somebody out of the stands Uh, to go out there and try and kick a football. It would have to be somebody that was a kicker at some level because if it's an emergency backup that comes in, it still has to give you some semblance of some kind of a chance of success with whatever that emergency player is doing, right? Yeah, so basically, I I look at it like if we're having having someone, if we're we're equating it to the e-bug, right? I think you could absolutely have a kicker. That uh, a kicker or punter is the most obvious, clear sport position where that could happen, because yeah. it just could. I mean, they don't really have to do very much athletic. They're just kicking a ball, and you could get a guy that was a D one punter or kicker, and it, it'll look like a kick. It'll look like a punt. Mm-hmm. It just won't be as high or as far, and it won't be as likely to go in. So I think that's comparable. 
I think soccer goalie, probably similar. Base basketball, there really isn't one. And no. and baseball, I guess it would be like the equivalent of a bullpen catcher, right? Like you could have a bullpen yeah. catcher. I almost feel like I almost feel like you'd have a better chance of getting guys out if it was the um if it like I went in there as a pitcher as opposed to like the BP pitcher, the batting practice pitcher. The batting practice pitcher goes in there, you're get, those guys are going to be crushing the ball. If I go up there and the ball's like super slow and that like I don't know. I I feel like I don't know if it would be the bullpen catcher, the bullpen pitcher or both. I guess in terms of what would be more likely that you would need, it would be the catcher if your first two catchers got hurt because there's about a million pitchers. Yeah, you have you have a lot of options, and you can use a regular player as a pitcher too, but you're right. The catcher, a regular player could put the catcher's equipment on and play the position, but maybe it makes more sense to be the catcher, and your emergency would probably be your bullpen catcher. But the problem is, and the reason why they went to an e-bug in the NHL is because one team, the Florida Panthers, tried to put in their goalie coach, who was a former NHL goalie, a guy named Rob Tallis. And that's where they said, we got to draw the line. We can't do that. He's a member of the coaching staff. He can't also play. So that's why they brought the e-bug system into place. The thing that makes it so unique in the NHL is wait, that- wait, 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 wait. Hold on a second. Hold on a second. Hold on a second. They had an issue with bringing it. He was a coach of that team, though, right? And a former NHL goalie. The Flyers had a guy as an e-bug at one point, too, named Jeff Reese, who was the goalie coach and played minor league hockey. Right, but here's my thing. I feel like that's better than putting in our guy Ayers that works for the Maple Leafs for the Hurricanes. I'd yeah. rather have it be somebody with the organization, a coach, a front office guy, I, like he's with that team than bringing in some random guy. Well, here's the thing, though. Okay, so it's say it's uh... – the guy Talis in Florida, but it's the other team's goalie that gets hurt. Now he is a coach on the Florida Panthers, and now he's the emergency for, say, it was the Carolina Hurricanes. Oh yeah, yeah, no, I'm not okay there, with there, that. There's the rub. He because he is already under contract, so he can't sign a contract with the opposition to be their emergency. Got it. There's okay, the rub. So the issue wasn't the issue wasn't him going yeah. in for his own team. It's the issue is if he went in for the other team. Exactly. Because he would be heavily incentivized to let them score. Oh. You said there's not an e-bug on earth. That e-bug would, would, would let goals yeah. in. Yeah, he may, he may throw it for his team who he works for. Now, the guy Ayers, David Ayers, he worked for the Leafs organization as a Zamboni driver for the minor league team in the AHL. He was also the e-bug for the Toronto Marlies. But as it turns out, he gets in a game as a member of the Carolina Hurricanes and goes against the Leafs, who, by the way, he practiced with yesterday. He gave up the first goal in the game. You'll love this, Ross. He gave up in the first game to no slouch, John Tavares, one of the best players in the league. And it looked like a really bad goal that he gave up. Tavares shot it right along the ice, went under his pad. And they asked him after the game about the goal. He goes, I was stunned. And he said, why? He goes, because he never shoots low in practice. He always shoots high on me. I was stunned that he shot the puck low. And Tavares, being the savvy oh, so guy, he knew that. Really, okay, so he was like, 
from practice, he knows these guys' tendencies. Oh, yeah, 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 absolutely. So, look, yeah, almost had an unfair advantage playing against the team that he practices with all the time. So he knows their tendencies. Where, and don't, and every goalie knows everybody's tendencies. Where are the Maple Leafs in the standings? They're in the third spot. They're hanging on to a playoff spot by a hair right now. They, they are one point up in the playoffs in the Eastern Conference. Two points up, sorry. Third well, spot wait, I thought Atlanta. you said the Hurricanes just got the last spot. No, well, the Hurricanes moved into a wild card spot with the win. The two points they got got them to 74 points. They're now wild card number two. So for right now, at least, that was like a swing game on some level for the Maple Leafs and the Hurricanes. There's 20 games left in the season, and those two teams are fighting tooth and nail. There's eight teams that are going to make it in the Eastern Conference, and it looks like there's about five teams fighting for three spots. Okay, let's now talk random guys. For n- p- people that are not e-butt bugs, right? Like random dudes. What sport do you think they could go in and it would take us the longest to notice. Hmm. And what's the opposite of that? Um, I'm trying to think of a sport. Well, what about NASCAR? <laughs> is that a sport? Or is that uh, a competition? Could you jump in a NASCAR? I don't know. I think somebody might be able to. I mean, they'd be last. But I think that they could. I've I've driven a NASCAR. Yeah, and, and you I've would love to take it- that turn, right? <laughs> And I've driven it 140 miles an hour. So I feel like a regular person, they'd be in last place, but they could at least follow the other cars around. Like, I, I don't I don't think that that would be the, oh, you're saying which one would you would you would um, notice Maybe the not least. Notice. Yeah. I yeah, mean, yeah. After yeah, Ryan yeah, Newman, yeah, I'm not getting in one, but yeah. That, that would be one. I mean, obviously a kicker or a punter, until they kick or punt, you know what I mean? Um, I saw people say NBA, uh, which is possible. They'd probably go right at the NBA. I'm talking about the least, like, you would know right away. You oh, go yeah, right yeah. at that guy in the NBA. How about a cornerback in the NFL? How about a they running right back? Dude, yeah. how about a running back? Do you ever see, like, when the punter or the kicker try to run with the ball? how slow and unathletic they look. And by the way, those guys are usually pretty decent athletes. If yeah. you took a normal guy out there, it would be it would be like watching a slow motion car wreck and like these guys running slow and then all of a sudden and he would get blown to bits. It would be actually highly entertaining. It'd be very <laughs> bad for that guy. I hope he signed a waiver before he became the Eburb or whatever to be the running <laughs> E-bug back. Ebug roadkill. <laughs> oh man, that'd be bad. Yeah, I think um you know what? I think you could play soccer for a while before anybody would notice. They just kind of like jog around out there and the ball might not even come into your zoner area for a while. And even if it does, you you know, you might not get exposed that much. Let me if you had a guy that was like a former D1 collegiate player or Maybe you could mask it a little bit there, too. But, I mean, when you're talking about these athletes at the highest level, there's so, – I mean, like we all played with kids growing up that were really good athletes in our hometown. But then there's that 1% of 1% that are at that level to play – to be the elite players in the world. And it just looks so different. It's 
I mean, there's no individual sport where you could hide like tennis or golf or anything like that. That wouldn't work. So I, the team sport, I, I don't know. I, I don't know if you could hide it. Hey, everybody. It's Ross Tucker. Thanks for listening to the Home and Home podcast. Remember, you can watch or listen live every day from 8.30 to 10.30 a.m. Eastern time exclusively on the Radio.com app or on the web at Radio.com slash home. We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s. And each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto-pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto-pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. See t